0: Hello and welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but uh, take part ourselves.
1: Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you do not have to. I am Ross Blotcher.
0: And I am Carrie Poppy.
1: And we are back at Contact in the Desert. Yeah. After we took a long break to go get vegan smoothies.
0: Oh, is that what we did? Yeah,
1: we decided, you know what? It's lunch. We want to go enjoy ourselves. And we had found out where there was an actual vegan restaurant in Joshua Tree. So we went there.
0: Three sisters, good sisters, the clean sisters. I'm sure they're good and clean. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Naked sisters. Uh, We had been- Natural sisters cafe.
1: That sounds right. So we enjoyed our smoothies and then we hightailed it back and we came in for the Wilcock panel. Oh boy. Time to toke that old Wilcox joint.
0: <laughs> now, if I were naming things for this conference, Maybe I wouldn't mm-hmm. name everything the disclosure blank.
1: Oh, so many disclosures! This is and that.
0: Yeah, every little group has their own little buzzwords, and disclosure is one of this group's.
1: The subtitle was the disclosure tipping point.
0: So we've got our host David Wilcock,
1: Corey Good, he who has traveled to many planets.
0: Yes. And
1: what was it? His father or grandfather was a conscientious objector.
0: Grandfather, S-
1: Seventh Day Adventist, was it? Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: And actually, while we're on the subject of Corey Good. Mm-hmm. I've discovered a person called Dark Journalist who believes that Corey Good himself oh, is yes. an agent of the government. And boy, there's a little infighting around Corey Good.
1: The woman we talked to at our dinner at the Ozark Mountain conference, she had recommended the Dark Journalist along with a bunch of other sites. Every time someone mentions something I don't know already, I open up a tab in my phone browser. And so I have anything this, at all? If I'm even remotely interested in okay. it, which is most things, mm-hmm. so I can read about it later. And so I have 50 tabs currently in my phone browser, and maybe six of them are from her. Oh, wow. She gave me all these very large things to look into, and The Dark Journalist was one of them.
0: I do recommend The Dark Journalist. I okay. follow him on Facebook, and it is a wealth of information and disinformation.
1: All right. We have two panelists so far. <laughs> Who else is on there?
0: <laughs> There's Graham Hancock, one oh. of the people famous for being kicked out of TEDx.
1: That's right. Uh, Andrew Collins.
0: Linda Moulton Howe. Linda Moulton How, How? does she do it? Is
1: not a panel without her, Brian Forrester.
0: And Mike Barra.
1: That makes a panel. And yeah. we were back in the amphitheater. So we had our camping chairs waiting for us.
0: It was 2 p.m. Picture it. The sun is high.
1: We were, I think, 40 minutes late to this panel.
0: Oh, okay. It's 2.40 then.
1: <laughs> so we came in and Linda Moulton Howe was saying that disclosure might be linked to a discovery on Enceladus.
0: Enceladus?
1: Yeah. One of the moons
0: oh, Okay, that of made, Saturn. That made me picture salad and saran wrap at the same time.
1: And then I thought, well, what about Europa? I'm excited about what Europa about my ropa? too. Maybe they'll discover life there. It's a lot of water.
0: My ropa, my clothes. The
1: the idea was that let's say NASA JPL they announce, hey, we found life somewhere. This is their chance to disclose all of it. Ha ha! We found life here, and guess what? There's life all over, and we just haven't told you about it. You are disclosed.
0: Like why? Why would that be the tipping? Well, I guess we're gonna find out why that would be the tipping
1: point. Indeed,
0: I will withhold judgment, even though I was there. Okay, so Linda also talked about how she spoke to someone who's seen photos that show, moon bases like the ones on Antarctica are also on Mars.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, David Wilcock was like, oh, holy cow, I need to get more info out of you about that because she had this undisclosed source that right. she couldn't yeah, disclose. Yeah, can you tell
0: us who it is? She was like, nope, nope. Good journalist only, doesn't reveal her source.
1: Only so much disclosure today.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Atlantis is still stuck under ice, you guys, if anyone wasn't clear on this.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There seemed to be two big markers they were talking about. So 13 million years ago was the last time that there was no ice in Antarctica. Mm, So that's one marker. And I'm not sure if Linda Moulton Howe was suggesting that there was civilization there before that 13 million years ago.
0: Probably. but That would be the more interesting claim, so I'm going to assume it's that.
1: And she's talking about this football field sized hole in the ice that they're digging through to bring up all of these ancient artifacts. Then they're trying to cover it all up. Uh, But the other big time period they keep talking about is about 12,000 years ago. Brian Forrester threw out there that the Earth's tilt probably came from a cosmic event about 12,000 years ago. Huh. That we <laughs> used to be whoopsie spinning upright but we were then hit by a giant bombardment of comets, or maybe it was intergalactic war, whatever it may have been. But that was when we got tilted off of our upright rotation. And then that's when Antarctica went from being Atlantis to, you know, being in a temperate zone to now being at the bottom end of the Earth.
0: It seems like we Does that have- make sense to you, Carrie? Well, <laughs> In a vacuum, maybe, but it seems like we would have evidence of this catastrophic event. Mm-hmm. Like we do have other catastrophic events that are much older.
1: Well, we do have this black mat of, a black of residue that covers various parts of the world. And it has nanodiamonds in it, which shows that there was an extraterrestrial influence, a lot of heat generated. And so there must have been comets hitting the Earth and possibly bombardment from space aliens. So anyways, they were talking about this black mat, and David Wilcox said that it's measured at five inches tall, and it's found all over the world. I thought, whoa, that's a... Big claim. This okay. layer of black stuff that's kind of charcoal sooty, and it shows when this massive event happened. And so they were tying this to a lot of different phenomena. It could have easily caused the forty days and forty nights floods, and it would have. Insta- Where
0: is this stuff?
1: They say it can be found in Egypt. Australia, Russia, South America, North America, and Latin America. I'm
0: going to look it up on my smartphone Yeah, well produced this, by Apple.
1: This will help you. Andrew Collins said, ah, the reason you, Linda Moltenhau, haven't heard of it in other places is because other scientists refer to it as the Uselo horizon. So U-S-S-E-L-O horizon. Okay. So I looked this up. And most of the measurements I saw referred to it more as five centimeters. So, okay. Oh,
0: okay. That's a, that is a substantial difference, yeah, but okay. Yeah,
1: a little less than half of five inches, but fine. And so it's a legitimate thing. And they feel that it probably was caused by common impact. And, and, and I was, when? About that time okay. period. Yeah. So okay. like 12,000 years ago. So humans would have been around. Right. And I was actually really proud of David Wilcock because he asked a really good question at this point. He asked, oh, well, what does the mainstream say? Cause Mm -hmm. this. Uh Really good question.
0: Yeah. What does the mainstream say, Ross? Comets. Oh, okay.
1: Or a comment. Then they were launching into all of these other explanations for how this is a super wave caused by the center of our galaxy, which is actually a pulsar, and it entered our solar system and shot plasma, which ended the ice age and raised the oceans 300 feet, and that's how we got the flood. And my brain was just kind of melting at all this, like, whoa, 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 whoa. those are a lot of terms. What? Why, Why do you think this?
0: And if that's how we felt, we are not science experts or anything, but we keep up with popular science if this was overwhelming to us, what do you think it was to the people there?
1: Good, hard observation?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking it seems like that tactic of giving so much information that you're just like, sure, this must be right.
1: Blinding with science, right. Yeah. It was definitely one of those moments where, here's a bunch of terms. Right. Sounds very technical.
0: Which is kind of funny because there was that one guy who said that the government information floods you so you'll be overwhelmed. Ah. It's kind of that on a micro level.
1: Interesting, yeah, yeah. Have
0: you ever considered that there's macro evolution, but there's also micro evolution do you ever think about that
1: i think about that every day <laughs> Another big point of that was that there was already massive, impressive, advanced human civilization 12,000 years ago that got wiped out by these cometary impacts. And that's what gave us a lot of our fears about comets and events that we couldn't control because that was all encoded in our flood myths, etc. And that's, that's why then we had to build all of these various structures that were meant to placate the gods, that we would then seek out these shamans to help us because we didn't have proper ways of explaining what was happening Mm -hmm. and so then they were saying that the sumerians weren't the first culture they were just sort of a renaissance you know they were like six thousand years ago we often say that was like the first society that created beer and agriculture and all these other things that kind Mm -hmm. of led to eventually to modernity but they're saying no no that that was just like rediscovering ideas of the ancient greeks
0: oh okay yeah that's a claim yeah you certainly can say that so, again, we got hit with the notion that we're disclosure, not the government.
1: Mm-hmm. That got a big applause.
0: Yep. Don't wait for them to do it. Do it yourself. We learned that gold is an extraterrestrial material, and so is platinum.
1: Yes, which is funny because pretty much everything on this planet is a extraterrestrial material mm-hmm. by that measure. But, okay, yeah. yes, sure. <laughs>
0: true. True. And then we got to one of my, I don't want to say my favorite parts, but one of the craziest parts of this for me was they started talking about the war of the reptoids reptoids versus versus the the blondes. blondes. Oh,
1: yes. I remember this. Oh, boy. Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've probably all heard about the lizard people. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. And it
1: was Linda Moulton Howe who was really kind of pushing this area of conversation.
0: Right. Short recap, the reptilians or the reptoids are these like half human-like creatures who are also half Reptile, right? But they're aliens, right? They Mm -hmm. they look like half reptile, half human, but I guess they're fully alien. Did they have sex with humans? They might be half human. They are
1: both fully alien and fully man, (laughs) just like Jesus.
0: Right, right, right. So the reptoids tend to be evil, and the blondes tend to be good. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wait, this is starting to make me feel a little funny.
1: Right. One of the panelists said, oh, we've got to be really careful when we bring up things like this because the skeptics will listen to us talking about blondes and blue eyes and talking about how these are recent developments and from good aliens and, you know, might consider that to sound... Racist. racist.
0: Yeah, Andrew Collins actually said that. And Linda Moulton Howe, who had claims that blonde hair and blue eyes is one of the last holdouts of the Nordic aliens, like mm-hmm. she had really like sent herself down this rabbit hole by the time he says this. So then you see her kind of like <laughs> panic a little bit, like, oh my God, someone just called me maybe racist. And so she's like, well, we got to remember that there was an intergalactic war between reptilians and Nordics, and and they can possess one another. So, okay, let's let's think about this if if a reptilian could go into a nordic's body and convince you that it's a nordic then we don't know who we're dealing with at any point in time and 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 and, and hitler hitler wanted to eliminate people so maybe he was a reptilian who possessed a nordic's body we need to confront this possibility
1: I'm glad you were able to follow that because after a while, I was just tuning out. Oy, what? What <laughs> oh is she doing? God. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was just trying to make it better.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 She was uh, panicking <laughs> because this is a solid point. It doesn't mean that Linda Moulton Howe is personally a racist, but it does mean that this theory does seem to have some ugly origins.
1: All I know is she can generate three paragraphs off the top of her head like no one else.
0: Oh, definitely. So, Ross, before we started recording, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to tell you the thing i'm reading
1: oh yeah yeah it was was
0: about nordics because i looked up something called nordic theory am i the last person to know this the nordics were considered like the tippy top of the aryan race by hitler right yeah. Oh, I am the last to know. Well, anyway, I was I was reading about because I've only ever heard of you know the Aryans. I never heard of the Nordics being mm-hmm. the most special. And this is according to a very perfect source, Wikipedia, that can never be wrong. Uh-huh. It says Nazi racial theories held that Atlanteans were a race of Nordic supermen.
1: Okay. Did you know that? This all ties in then.
0: Yeah. Have you heard that before? Mm-mm. Me neither.
1: From the Antarctic. Yeah. And all of this was tied into the earlier conversation because they were trying to weigh the respective roles of cometary impact and other natural phenomena versus the influence of this intergalactic war. And David Wilcock was saying, I'm starting to feel like it was kind of a hybrid where you had both the natural effects and then also this war happening. And maybe they were just grabbing with tractor beams, huge chunks of rock and just throwing them back down as weapons. Probably. Probably. And I'm then, sure
0: it's all yeah.
1: True. <laughs> and somehow solar flashes made their way into this as well. That was also part of his theory. He loves the solar flares.
0: Oh, definitely. And the what is it? Solar cough?
1: Oh, right. I forgot about the solar cough. There's another thing, a repeating theme. I think we've talked about it before. Gobekli Tepe was the hot topic at this conference. And it's this ancient site from about 12,000 years ago, according to the dating we were presented with. And they have these giant megalithic structures that apparently are much larger than even Stonehenge and have ornate carvings of animals and such. So they were pointing to this as one of these pre-existing civilizations that almost got wiped out around 12,000 years ago, but they happened to be built I guess, in just the right location where they missed that commentary impact and they weren't completely destroyed. And that's why we have that as a ruin now.
0: Find your ruin.
1: Little Scientology callback.
0: So, Ross, had you heard of star children before?
1: Yeah, in relation to skulls.
0: Yeah, it looks like if people want to look this up, you can look up starchildproject.com where they show you different skulls that some people are convinced are extraterrestrial skulls and shows the supposed DNA testing and those results. So anyway, we're told on this panel that one star child was found to have a human mother, but an indeterminate species father.
1: Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yes.
0: We're all saying things now. Uh, The lizard thing comes up a ton in this panel, and I was so surprised by how many people buy that there.
1: Right. I felt that was such a fringe subunit of a subunit. Exactly. But no, in vogue at Contact in the Desert.
0: Yeah. I really wonder if the people in Arkansas would have been so on board with the Mm. lizard theory or not. Obviously, some would have been. Sure. But yeah, this felt sort of distinctly Californian in its own way. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. (laughs)
0: So at this point, David Wilcock passed around a reconstruction of what basically looked like a human fetus.
1: Yeah, it was a really tiny, maybe just four or five inches tall fetus-like replica it looked like it was maybe 3d printed or sculpted
0: right uh, out And he of, tells us this was an adult
1: it's made out of this transparent material and he starts passing it around and it almost felt to me for a second like he was punking these other people to get their expert reactions he's saying <laughs> i'm surprising you with this and i want to get your impression of what you think about this as an expert and then people would hold on to it and look at him well, you know, if this were an accurate copy of, and David Wilcock would jump in. Oh, yes, it absolutely it is. is. It is. And put them in this really awkward position. Yeah. He said it was a perfect medical forensic replica <laughs> of the Atacama alien humanoid hybrid. DNA guys have confirmed this. The best DNA guys.
0: Okay, where was this from? Can we see the original? Has anyone else looked at it? Like, there are so many questions not being even it right. out here. It
1: seemed like others were really uncomfortable trying to put any confidence in this, but he just sprung it on them. Uh huh. It was pretty entertaining.
0: So, we're told that item, that humanoid thing, that it's 90% human DNA.
1: One of the other panelists was saying, like, well, if it's 90% human, then it's probably more it's explainable. Probably more like as 100% unnatural.
0: human. And yes, yeah, <laughs> pieces are left out of this story. So, at this point, Mike Barra says that he thinks evolution is BS.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting revelation. There's so many interesting little tidbits and takeaways in here. At one point, they were talking about the Shoemaker-Levy comet hitting Jupiter and how it was 25 years to the day after we landed on the moon that the impact happened.
0: After we over here on Earth landed on the moon.
1: Okay. Okay. And they said, and it was 25 years to the second from one of the impacts back in time to when Neil Armstrong first set foot on the moon. What? Why would that be significant? And they were acting like this was such a huge thing. So then the next little bit of synchronicity. so
0: there's no way anyone has those seconds down pat.
1: Mm, I mean, maybe the
0: moon part, but I really doubt.
1: Oh, no, because we were all busy observing the Shoemaker-Levy impact, so.
0: Oh, I see. I wasn't.
1: Sure. I, I, the collective <laughs> we, uh, uh-huh. including all of humanity, we had some representatives who were watching. But right. it, maybe that's true. But still, why is that important? Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone else. You yeah, was- just
0: picture the aliens out there like, no, we have to wait for the 25th anniversary, you guys. Right. Don't blow your load too soon.
1: And then another panelist was talking about how right as hail bop was passing us, at the same time. There was a lunar eclipse, and the odds of those happening together are zero.
0: Oh, well, that's not true.
1: <laughs> it's maybe abso-
0: appro- approaching zero.
1: Absolutely not, not zero. <laughs> <laughs> and- because it happened right (laughs) what was the other oh yeah the moon is 2160 miles in diameter but that's also the number of years in the zodiac
0: whoa man this is too crazy did you know that if you take the number nine and you multiply it by any single digit and then you come up with two numbers and then you add those two numbers together (laughs) you'll come back to nine Aliens exist.
1: <laughs> yeah, it blew me away. It
0: oh, boy.
1: This impressed them.
0: Yeah, the Hailbop Comet was actually created by aliens. Was it? Yeah, yeah. That's in my notes. Cool, man. Which seems rather cruel of them if they could have foreseen the whole Heaven's Gate issue.
1: Right. Also, Linda Moulton Howe threw out Alternative Three. She mentioned this. This was huh, a book remember this. written by David Watkins back in the late 70s. And so she went off on that for a while. And David Wilcock, I think, queried the audience to say, oh, who's actually familiar with this? has read Alternative 3 and like two hands raised. And Linda Moulton Howe was just floored like, guys, everybody read Alternative 3. (laughs) And so she went off on this for a long time. And David, to his credit, said, oh, I think we need to provide just a little bit of context here. And he explained that Alternative 3 was supposed to be this plan by the government or whoever's controlling things to deal with our damage to the planet and global warming. Uh. And so I think the first alternative was to explode nuke in the atmosphere and create kind of a shield to cool things down. Mm -hmm. Then they realized that was a bad idea. So alternative two would be to build a bunch of underground tunnels for us all to live in. Okay. And then alternative three was to build a bunch of bases on the moon and Mars. Ah. So apparently some elements were shown to be untrue. So they were willing to concede that in the book and the film, I guess, that came out later, a documentary or something. But still, it sounded like they wanted us to read alternative three as a a time capsule.
0: What an interesting thing that they do have this level of falsifiability where they're like, mm-hmm. oh that's not there accurate. There's
1: certain things they'll throw out and say, yeah. nope, that's not correct.
0: That's a good inclination, but I am just curious about what like is where it starts and stops. Yeah,
1: totally. There was also another unnamed source that David Wilcock mentioned who said when he was five or six his father had been working at this government contractor and at a pool party he saw these photos of <laughs> that's right. astronauts on Mars in 1981 One, I believe, waving at the camera with pyramids behind them. (sighs) And apparently that father, whoever it was, the connection had been working on the Montauk project. Have you ever heard of this? Mm -hmm. I read that book back in eighth grade.
0: Oh, yeah? Because
1: I had this awesome teacher named Donald Shope. And he came to our school. This was like the first year he taught. He was the coolest teacher. And we all loved him because he seemed to know everything. We'd try to stump him. We'd come up with weird little factoids. Anyway, so he would take all these delightful diversions. We once took two days off of class just to learn about subliminal messages in Disney films and elsewhere. Fun. And then he was really big into conspiracy theories
0: oh wow yeah
1: and so he had me read the montauk project about time travel experiments
0: what did this guy teach
1: physical science
0: oh okay, okay. yeah
1: i loved it i was having a great time and so this- i would have
0: loved it if it was like sex ed and he was like i can't handle oh, yeah. it <laughs> I, Everyone read the Montauk Project.
1: I think this is when I really started flirting with conspiracies. I remember I also read "Behold a Pale Horse." Oh,
0: right. On his Classic. recommendation,
1: also in eighth grade. Uh, anyways, yeah. What cool. a
0: gorgeous title for a book.
1: Oh man, absolutely. So I remember coming away from reading that thinking that it was was it William Greer who shot JFK?
0: Oh, okay. But
1: this is me remembering back to eighth grade. But yeah. Anyways, yeah. Cool professor.
0: Now, we also learned that Linda Moulton Howe used to know Shirley MacLaine, the oh, actress Shirley oh, MacLaine. Oh, the
1: story. Oh, my goodness. And yes.
0: And little people would run around Shirley's feet at her ranch, <laughs> and they told her not to buy some land,
1: so she didn't. Oh, man. I love that story. <laughs> and, and-, and there
0: was no like, they told her not to buy some land. She didn't buy it. And then the land burned up or anything. It was just nope. like, they told her not to buy some land. And she didn't.
1: And she was totally vouching for Shirley McLean. She told me this, and she was very serious about it. <laughs> yeah, this was all when we were looking at that little transparent body. fetal thing. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a little alien from a movie that was being passed around. And they were talking about little people. Not little people- not like people with dwarfism, etc. Right, but, but, but four or five inch tall people, in these races that exist.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that was a pretty good panel, even though we missed part of it.
1: That was fantastic. Andrew Collins also said that he's going to be leading a quantum meditation to connect to the Tabby Star alien <laughs> megastructure. That's the one where they found that star that it, it kind of blinkers in and out every now and then. And they think ah. that maybe, just maybe, there could be an alien civilization building okay. like a, a solar energy connection device. Well, cool. He's already determined that, yes, there is another oh, okay. civilization there. They are doing that. Okay. And we can have a quantum meditation that will connect with them directly.
0: I just want to ask him, like, oh, real quick, what does quantum mean?
1: <laughs> right. Just
0: to see what his answer is.
1: And it's also 1,280 light years from Earth. Mm. So that light that we're seeing from them is from that long ago. Right. So I assume they're still just doing well and thriving over a 1,000 years later, and ready to be Consciously connected.
0: Fingers crossed. Ross. Hey, Carrie. Hey, how's it going? All right. I've been thinking a lot of people listen to our show in bed.
1: That's true. Well, people spend about a third of their lives in bed. Exactly. So. If not
0: more, I mean, come on, sometimes you don't want to get out of there.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sure a lot of listening to our show happens in bed. We've already recommended bedding products. Mm
0: -hmm. But maybe your sleep experience and just your lounging experience could be better with our new sponsor, Brooklinen.
1: Absolutely. I've tried out their sheets.
0: Yeah. Yours came a little before mine, so I just got to rub your sheets against my skin
1: (laughs) it's yeah
0: they're very nice
1: i was gonna say it's not as bad as it sounds but it's it's worse than it sounds
0: (laughs) yeah they're really lovely no
1: these are fantastic sheets and they arrived in a box that wasn't too big for the product which i appreciate that's always nice yeah it was like a
0: bunch of Earth-killing packaging. Right.
1: It was exactly the size of the product, and it comes in this really nice bag that you can reuse for other things. Anyways, the the sheets themselves are wonderful. It also came with a duvet cover and pillowcases and everything.
0: So you can get your whole bundle if that's what you need, and you can get them exactly. in all these cool colors. Like, yours is a nice sand. If you want to be like Ross, get sand. What did you order? I ordered smoke, which is like yours, but a bit darker. It's mm. like a steel. You know what, though? I kind of wish I'd gotten navy. I don't know, man. Life is so hard. But the point is, <laughs> there are a lot of good colors. Oh, and
1: they've got, yeah, fun patterns. So, Brooklyn is all about getting people high-quality sheets, but without a ton of customization and options. It's pretty simple. They lay out the two types of sheets that they have, the different patterns. You pick the ones you want. They get sent to you. Nice and easy. You get high-quality sheets for a good price. So, if you're going to have a hypnopompic or hypnagogic delusion...
0: <laughs> this is where to have them.
1: This is a place to do it. You might as well do it in comfort while there's a pressure on your chest and creatures standing around you in your room. You want to do that in comfort. You
0: want want to at least be like, (laughs) God, these are nice sheets. And actually, brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for our listeners.
1: So you can get $20 off and free shipping if you use the promo code ONO, O-H-N-O, at brooklinen.com.
0: And actually, they're so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all all their sheets and comforters, wow. which is pretty nuts. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's really no reason not to give them a try at least.
1: So the best way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use that promo code, oh no at brooklyn.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code.
0: Ohno. O-H-N-O. Sleep well. Ross, did you know that this whole time during this conference, we were sitting on a sacred site that lies on top of an aquifer with a unique magnetic field?
1: I didn't know that intuitively, but yeah, I think it was mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's in the welcome letter. I just wanted to make sure you knew. There's also 17 vortices scattered throughout that property.
1: 17, you
0: say? Yes, yeah, 17 vortices. Wow. Interesting that they'll say vortices, whereas in Sedona, you sound- Or Texas. Yeah, you you sound like a real out-of-towner if you say mm, vortices.
1: Vortices, hmm.
0: So next we went over to well I first I went without you. I showed up for Michael Denon's Stump the Professor Challenge Aliens and Space Version. So Michael Denon is a professor who teaches superhero science Mm -hmm. at UC Irvine.
1: Yeah, this sounded really cool. And it sounded uh, legitimate.
0: Yeah, potentially. But you just never know at these conferences. You just never know. You did have to have a special pass to go into this one, so it was a little less attended. So I went in, and first I was the second person there. The other person was like a tech person. And I was like, oh, no, no one's going to But a few people trickled in and finally we ended up with six attendees and two volunteers when he started. Mm -hmm. So I texted you and I said, Ross, we're going to get so many questions in. Come on over.
1: I can't remember what I was doing. I was probably buying more pizza or something. Okay. (laughs) Like that little truck there. But yeah, I saw your bat signal and uh, came over and came to join you in the front row. Because yeah, there were only like 11 people there.
0: So this session is going to be instead of a talk, he's going to take any questions you have about space, aliens, alien travel, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it's called Stump the Professor because he feels like so far there hasn't been a question he totally can't answer. Right off the bat, he's just like, so who has a question? And the first question was something about the phenomenon of lost time. Mm -hmm. So this is the idea that if someone is abducted by an alien or has an encounter, that oftentimes they come back into what we consider the real world and they've lost time. You know, maybe it's been three weeks, but they feel like it's been an hour or maybe it's the reverse. So someone asked, can a propulsion system contribute to lost time? And he he says, like, yeah, yeah, Uh, physics explains that more time is passing on Earth than where you were if you're in, like, a propulsion system far away. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of, like, a hit. Everyone's very happy, like, oh, oh, the professor rewarded us. And then he asks for more questions, and... There's like pretty much silence for a bit. So I wasn't sure whether he was a believer or not. And so I thought, well, I'll just ask now. Uh (laughs) So I raised my hand and I'm like, so how will we know if we're wrong about UFOs? And I'm figuring he'll treat me as a believer at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, here's the thing. Even if aliens visited me personally personally, I couldn't convince other people, right? Because right. I couldn't repeat it. And part of science is repeatability. And I felt like, boy, this is like a really honest, good answer, both on the side of those critical of these claims and those who accept them.
1: Yeah, a great neutral response. Yeah. That because, just sets the conversation.
0: Yeah, because I've thought about that. If aliens did come and grab me and I was 100% convinced of it, I'd just be stuck. I, What would you do?
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah. It's... How I feel every time someone tells me one of these amazing stories. I just really want to see it now, and right. unfortunately, I can't. There's no way we can repeat that experience that you had. And so, thanks for sharing your story.
0: Yeah, sounds crazy, man. <laughs> can't
1: make any decisions based on it, though.
0: I decided I could continue this conversation with him in Bogart. His time, uh-huh. I said, uh, okay. I'm not getting like a good read on you. Do you right. do you believe this stuff? Yeah, um, you
1: were you were putting him in that position. <laughs> where he wasn't sure where you were coming from uh, right <laughs> But he had a really good answer for that, too.
0: There is definitely life out there. There's just no question about it. You know, we're not alone in this existence. But it's most likely that life out there is evolving at around the same rate that we are. Mm -hmm. So I just really doubt that they've actually come and made contact with us, much less visited us.
1: Yeah, he didn't seem to feel like any alien civilization would have had much time to get that much farther ahead of us. Right. I don't know. I, I could see let's say you know we waited for like 2 billion years on a planet with single-celled organisms mm-hmm. you know for eukaryotic cells to evolve and for things to get more complex maybe that could have happened say a billion years earlier on another planet
0: yeah i get what he's saying though i think he's saying you would need like 20 billion years to develop the mm. technology that it would take to like actually get through these massive problems. To
1: cover those distances. Right. Yeah, so it's like,
0: sense. okay, that's fair. And I mean, I basically agree with him. I certainly agree with him that aliens exist, but we probably haven't made contact with them. So we're totally on the same page, man. Why are you here?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, I didn't actually ask him that.
1: But I think he kind of answered it anyway. You know that He kind of does this as sort of a public service thing just to get people asking these questions and learning more science. And it-
0: also he is really big on bridging the gap between believers and unbelievers in a kind-hearted, open-minded way. Yeah.
1: And he himself later told us that he is a believer. Right. And that he has a book called Divine Science, Finding Reason at the Heart of Faith. Yeah. There was one of the answers that he gave where he tried to kind of find a way that possibly we could exist beyond our death.
0: Yeah, he was always like kind of trying to gamely answer people like as best he could to keep their worldview intact. Mm -hmm. And it was was really sweet. And
1: it was fun because that came out of experience that he had explaining things like superheroes. Right. So you ask, oh, how can Quicksilver move so fast? And so then he'll say, oh, that's a fun opportunity for us to talk about this aspect of science. Right. Yeah, it's just a really sweet, jovial fellow, had a beard, looked like a college professor. He, he looked
0: to me like when Drew is 20 years older, he will look like this man. I
1: remember he started the session, too, by asking us all to define science and give words that kind of for us resonated and he, with. And he
0: happened to want your words, so you seemed very proud.
1: Oh, yeah. We were totally like the, we, we expect an A in this class. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Student. <laughs> um, we've got it. Uh, uh, is In it possible? Oh, no. What are you looking for? What I, are you looking for?
1: I asked him a question because I was thinking about Whitley Strieber still. I was asking him about how small an implant could be and still be a communication device that ah, could, right. could talk to, say, a UFO. He got into a discussion about the size that you need for an antenna versus a receiver. And ah, for right. a receiver, it can be very small. But then mm-hmm. when you have an antenna, then that's when you need a lot more energy and size as well. And And then talked about the inverse square law and kind of how much you can get out of a certain size implant. It was very cool.
0: Yeah, he was really neat. I felt like he was a kindred spirit.
1: And he had his PC up there and he would do little drawings and constantly apologize for his poor drawing skills. (laughs) (laughs) Which were fine. Illustrating these concepts. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and I was thinking, I love this but at the same time, I'm at contact in the desert to be getting things that I can't just fully. get
0: claims that don't stand up to the science.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Like I just fully agreed with this guy and was totally down with him and so I kept wanting to kind of sneak out but I was there in the front row Uh and they were filming this and I don't know I just felt so bad. And, you know, he would kind of look at me and I think, okay, maybe if he looks over in Carrie's direction for a while, I can sneak out because <laughs> I wanted to go check out another talk. And it was a long time before I finally extricated myself. Oh, yeah. Not because I didn't love him. He was fantastic.
0: You know, you always remark on your laugh lines when you get to get the whole yeah, room yeah. laughing. Don't worry. I wrote down one of my oh, laugh good, good. lines for you. So as he was answering my question, he said, well, you know, one time I got a very good question. And I said, was it mine? Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yep, Everyone yep. Laughed. Uh-huh. Yeah. So-
1: yeah. Well done.
0: Thank you. My favorite question that he answered as far as his talent at communicating these things was someone asked about teleportation. How does it work? <laughs> Which is kind of a loaded question. But mm-hmm. he said, well, okay, teleportation. This is very, very interesting because when you think of teleportation, you probably think of something instantaneous. You're standing here and then right. the second letter, you're standing in Europe. Well, my question to you is, does it need to be instant for it really to be teleportation? Because what if I shoot a beam at you and it copies you in Europe and Mm -hmm. that you in Europe has all your memories, it has all your thoughts, it is you by every prick of the blood, but I have to shoot you now (laughs) because I've got the original you and otherwise there are two yous walking around. Are you okay Right. And of course, everyone's like, no, and I'm not okay with that. But then it kind of sends you down this philosophical question route where it's like, well, why am I not okay with that? Right. What is different about it's, me over there?
1: It's a good uh, trolley problem of sorts.
0: People asked him if Deja Vu is from the multiverse. And he said all right, I have tenure, so sure, I'll answer this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he had a little pet theory on that one.
0: Yeah, about wave interference. Yeah, it was, I don't know, it was just all so friendly and like, let's play with these ideas together. Oh, it
1: was right on. It was a really cool presentation and and he knew his stuff too.
0: So someone asked, is there any technology to measure how crystals change your frequency? Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, so I think you're using frequency in a different way than scientists do.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. That was very well handled yeah
0: yeah yeah it's exactly right but so many people would say that in such a meaner way
1: And it was hard to get a read on that audience, too. Again, it was a small group. I think some were maybe students of his already. Two were. Okay. That's a significant fraction of that audience.
0: Right. So when it was over and you were gone, I'm standing there waiting for the room to clear out. Mm-hmm. And this one guy was still there. And he was like, "Um, if I give you a book by Mr. David Wilcock, will you read it? And Michael Tennant's like, um. Yeah, you know, I oh boy, I have a lot to read, but sure. You, I mean, if you give me a book, I'm gonna read it. He's he's a Ross, uh so the guy pulls out like a 400 page oh, no. book by David Wilcock and oh, hands it no. to Michael Tennen, and you just see like his soul crumble out of his chest as he sees the size oh. of this book, and he's like, "Okay, thank you." And then the guy refuses to leave. He's just keep standing there going on and on about things David Wilcock believes. So I did give him a card for our podcast, but of course he still thinks I'm a believer. So he might be thinking like, this isn't exactly like how you want to kind of
1: redeem yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I looked him in the eyes and like, I was like, I think we are kindred spirits.
1: (laughs) No, that didn't help matters at all. (laughs) I think we are kindred spirits. (laughs) (laughs) He's <laughs> like, oh, Jesus.
0: I know. No, we can Probably thought it was like, hitting on him. <laughs> I think we are kindred spirits, and then I just stand there and won't leave. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor guy.
0: Oh, boy, I should send him an email.
1: Like Owl Guy.
0: Oh, you know what? Owl Guy has never written me back. Owl Guy. Sometimes I feel like these aren't my real friends.
1: So while you were staying there, I ran off to catch the end of Giorgio Sucalos's workshop, Mysteries of the Gods. And I think another reason I wanted to go there was because it was being held at the Noble Hall and we were getting towards the end of the final day and I had not yet been to Noble Hall. And a big reason why I'd wanted to go to Michael talk was because it was in the Lotus Room, which I hadn't seen yet.
0: And I had told you it was very culty.
1: So I went over to the Noble Hall and it was interesting. There was kind of this ante room that had booths set up in it. Uh, And so I walked walked through those and then you get into the main area which is another chapel sort of reminded me of the sanctuary a bit but not quite as big uh so i went and found a seat and my back was hurting at this point and so i kind of laid down belly first on a bunch of seats because there were a bunch of empty seats and i ate gummy bears because i remember i'd gotten a bunch <laughs> <This> of those
0: <laughs> like you're real devolving here
1: this is how i unwind uh-huh. so laying down
0: on your belly eating.
1: Gummy bears, yeah just so kind specific. of
0: specific
1: stretching my head up every now and then then just high enough to see Giorgio and his slides, but the rest of the time I'm just kind of laying down and munching I'm, on gummy bears while I take notes.
0: I'm picturing you like slowly morphing into a sea lion. Okay, on that's, your belly. That's while probably eating, about right. Eating gummy bears. That's
1: probably about right. So he's already well into his presentation, but when I got there, he was talking about Puma Punku. This is one of those situations where I really wish the presenters would just put up whatever term it is they're using on the screen. Mm, that would be nice. Because they'll say, Gobekli Tepe. And I'll mm. be like, uh, "What? Uh, go, how do you spell that? Do the Google search for the thing that sounds like what you right, think you right. heard. And now that I'm saying- Which often works. You, it usually does. And for all of you following along, Gobekli Tepe is G-O-B-E-K-L-I, and then separate word, Tepe.
0: T-E-P-E? <laughs> you got it. Hey. <laughs> I was just going to be a jerk and leave that. Yeah.
1: Uh, so Puma Punku is P U M A P U N. K-U.
0: That's how I would have spelled that second one.
1: Oh, excellent. And I think I was enunciating it more clearly mm-hmm. than he did. So Pumapunku is a site in Bolivia and it's part of a larger Tiwanaku culture. Mm-hmm. And my apologies if I'm saying any of this wrong. But he was talking about the rocks found at those structures. And I guess they had done an Ancient Aliens about it. Oh, okay. Which I have queued up to watch and I haven't watched yet. Shame on me. I am much like that professor. I have many, many <laughs> things, both of us. We have so many things. Oh, sure. Act up to watch and read and listen to it.
0: But I think you do try to catch every single one more than I do.
1: It is a failing effort. So he was talking about the craftsmanship required to create stones like these. And when I came in, he was protesting saying, well, hey, look, I never said that aliens created all these structures. I think the meme is funny but you know I'm not saying aliens did everything uh but this is one situation where I feel that they really did have to help out because the way that these stones are cut and the material that they're cut out of just could not have been done by humans at that time.
0: And the only other way to explain this is aliens.
1: Right. There's all these excluded other options. What about fairies or whites or I don't know? <laughs> yeah, what, that's true. Whatever you want Which to come up with. Unicorns with laser horns. Right. You know, wh- why aliens?
0: You mentioned his meme. You mean how people will have his face up and then it just says, because aliens exactly like that. Okay. Yeah,
1: so he's very much aware of this and thinks it's funny. He's mm-hmm. learned to... Uh, to deal with it. He's got a good sense of humor. So the stones, I, I recommend doing a search for these Pumapunku stones. Here, I'll show you the tab I've had open on my phone for now months. Uh,
0: I'm searching for it too.
1: These stones look like a bunch of capital H's.
0: Oh. Yeah,
1: yeah. They are legitimately cool and interesting looking. And Maybe these- it's
0: just someone trying to tell everyone to gargle. And-
1: These stones are very heavy, multiple tons, many tons per block.
0: That's impressive.
1: And so he was saying, okay, a lot of people say, oh yeah, sure, we could have cut these easily. Those are the red limestone ones. I'm not talking about the red limestone ones. Yes, those were done. Of course. Those were done by the humans with their copper tools. But I'm talking about the gray andesite blocks. And this is one where I had to search many times to figure out what he was talking about. Endesite? Turns out it's andesite, a. n. d. E-S-I-T-E. And so that is this material that on the Mohs scale is like very hard, difficult to cut. It's like a seven or eight, whereas the copper tools they had would only be like a three. So there's just no way they could do it. Even nowadays, if you tried to hire someone, he said, I brought down a guy who used to be a mason. I asked him, how would you cut these things? He said, oh, well, we would use water jets now. Mm. Okay. Interesting. He said, but if I tried to do it even with like a drill, there's just no way I could get these sharp cuts and these kind of bevel cuts that go in and come back out. So it
0: sounds like that guy's not the one for the job.
1: So yeah, Giorgio was showing us all these photos and they look legitimately impressive and he'd show us little lines that look like a saw cut, like, oh, how did they get this kind of narrow trench that's very even? And he was saying that they are all exact duplicates of each other, that many suggest even that they were formed with molds. Oh,
0: okay. Like pouring materials in there. Now, what... Sookalos' deal. Like, where did he get his schooling?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, all I know is he hosts ancient aliens. He seems to have... <gasps> he seems to have appeared out of the ether. <gasps> Could it be? <gasps> is he <He's> a- an <gasps>
1: alien?
0: Yeah, exactly. Good. I'm glad you said that because I can't gasp any higher.
1: <laughs> I'm reading here. He does have a bachelor's in sports information and communication. <laughs> he did work as a bodybuilding promoter. <laughs> He produced and directed the annual San Francisco Pro Grand Prix in uh, 2001 to 2005.
0: Oh, this is embarrassing. I mean, I expected him to at least have a master's in geology or something. Nope. He doesn't even have an undergrad degree in anything relevant to this field.
1: Nope, guess not. I mean,
0: I don't want to sound like someone who...
1: You can't talk about this unless you're degreed.
0: Yay, I don't want to be elitist about education. But, you know, throw us a bone for at least why we should be listening to you, even if that's not a reference to your schooling.
1: Fair enough. One can say he has been looking into this for a long time and he's gone to these locations...
0: Yeah, all right.
1: And that was one of his exhortations. Come on, guys, you just got to go there, save up, go take a vacation and visit these sites, see them for yourself. And he was talking about how these stones are not only cut so well and so evenly, but they're just smooth, like polished mirrors, but then they'll have these razor sharp edges as well. So he was talking about just all of these extraordinary aspects of these stones and how far away the quarry was. This was an interesting thing. He was saying that this quarry was a long ways off many miles on the other side of a valley with a river in the middle. So he's saying like, how would you even get those stones across? But it's weird. He was then saying that you find some stones that are abandoned on the quarry Like uh they were in the works or being carried partway in between. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, doesn't that disprove your point?
0: That they just appeared?
1: Or that they used some kind of UFO technology or advanced technology to to transport them because you're saying it's too difficult. But there's the signs that sometimes they gave up because it was really hard.
0: Right. Did he explain why he thought they were...
1: He didn't seem to feel that was even a problem. Yeah, I'm not sure what the disconnect there was. Uh, I think he was feeling like, oh, people tried to move them that way and and see it was too difficult. Oh, and they
0: failed. So then the aliens came and were like, (laughs) we'll help.
1: You can handle the red limestone. Clearly, we're going to help with this gray stone, though.
0: (laughs) We're really good with specific types of rock.
1: And then he was talking about other sites like Stonehenge. The blocks were moved over these huge distances as well. But- (laughs) I remembered then that Brian Dunning had done a Skeptoid episode about this very site. And so I went and looked at that one again. He was saying that you have places like the Greek Parthenon that were built a thousand years before this location and also involved really precise masonry. And we don't ask ourselves how those happened. Like mm-hmm. we understand all the craftsmanship that went into that. The Persians built Persepolis and the Palace of Darius, all kinds of other contemporary and even predating works that were equally complex. So there's no need to call for that. And then I talked to Brian just this past weekend. I mentioned this investigation. He said he learned later from listeners that you can go to the museum there. They have like a visitor center at Pumapunku and they answer all of those questions. They tell you exactly how all of these things were built. So it's not even a mystery. Right, right. But it seems Giorgio is kind of committed to explaining it as such. Yeah, and he was going into places where rocks had been mined. I think we had moved on to a different place. This was a Temple of the Condor, which is an Inca ruin. And so wow, he,
0: rad name.
1: Yeah, right? Uh, he was showing this area where blocks had been removed from the surrounding area. And there were these kind of crisscross lattices where apparently they would drill holes deep into the rock and then crisscross those with other holes drilled deep into the rock and then get water in there and let the water freeze. Uh-huh. And then that would expand the rock and break Whoa. it loose enough that they could pull it out. Yeah, super smart. Yeah. That's how they'd get these blocks out. And And so Georgia was kind of agreeing to that, but saying they couldn't have done it at this angle or they couldn't have kept the water in or whatever it was. It's like you had established, oh, here's a method. He said, oh, but there's just these little things wrong with it. So they needed help cutting this rock.
0: Right. Right. So I'm going to invoke this far more complicated piece of the story.
1: Not quite Occam's razor there. Mm -mm. Anyways, at this point, I think he had many more slides, but people were kind of rushing him out of the room saying, hey, we need to prepare for the next talk. Your time's up. And so finally, he kind of wrapped it up. He was just talking a bit to one person's question about how he deals with debunkers or skeptics. And he said, oh, I just I don't even talk to them anymore because it's just an exercise in futility. Mm. So he's kind of given up and. at at this point.
0: I wish you'd talk to Michael Dunnan.
1: Yeah. Oh, that could be a really interesting conversation. Yeah. So then he invited everybody. Oh, sorry, we have to cut this short. Love to go on longer, but feel free to follow me back to my booth and I'll take pictures with you and sign stuff for you. So I joined that group and I was kind of walking back with Giorgio, but it was a big group trying to stay close to him. I'd say there were maybe 80 people at the talk, Uh but not all of them stuck with that group. I'd say maybe there were like 10 hangers on. I wasn't going to jostle through all that and as I was walking back toward his booth to maybe get a picture book or something like that I ran into you And and I think you were saying that Michael Denon was about to arrive
0: I was saying that I had tried to get Michael Denon's attention And was starting to tell you the story about, you know, how he and I are kindred spirits when he did show up.
1: Oh, and wasn't there a woman as well you were telling me about?
0: Yes, that's right. So as I was leaving, she had heard me say to him that my podcast was also science-y or something like that. She said, can I listen to your podcast? (laughs) And I was like, oh, sure. I didn't
1: think the conversation was going to go this direction.
0: dear. Yeah. Well, because I hadn't been talking to her, but I gave her one of our cards and just my fingers. Yeah, I think you were a little worried at this point, like, oh no,
1: who does she know? Are we going to be outed now?
0: Right. Uh, but it was fine. But as you and I were sitting there talking, Michael Denon and his two students came up to us. I think they were just going to order food or something, but mm-hmm. we were like, hey, we want to buy your book.
1: Yeah. And so he does break for people who are buying his book. <laughs> yeah. So we got a copy of that.
0: Yep. Yeah, I bet it's good.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'd be very interested to see how he kind of reconciles his Roman Catholic faith with physics because he clearly knows his stuff
0: yeah definitely yeah he had an interesting theory for why he believes that humans do survive their own deaths that our spirits do his theory was very confusing to me but yeah but it's interesting to see how someone's mind works Mm -hmm. like that but ross yes hold on hold on hold on
1: uh i know Carrie, right?
0: Yes, that's me. I remember you. You are not Carrie Poppy. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you that there is a network called Maximum Fun that produces a lot of good podcasts.
1: Sounds like so much fun.
0: It is the Maximum of Fun. I would love to play for you a clip of one
1: of the shows. All right, I'll listen. Hi there. I'm comedian and movie buff Ricky Carmona, and I'm excited to tell you about a new show I'm doing called Who Shot Ya?, Join me, LA Weekly film critic April Wolf.
0: I'm going to call Star Wars when it comes out, the Clint
2: Howard Project. <laughs>
1: <laughs> film reviews editor for The Wrap, Alonzo Durali. Everything Charlize Theron knows about killing somebody with a high-heeled shoe she learned from single trust female. <laughs> and our dope-ass friends each week. The stunt guys were asking me, like, Yo, do you need a stunt double in here to, to for, for you to skate? I was like, no, no, I, I was on skates at three. So if you're tired of whack opinions and you're looking for a smart, funny film discussion show, check out Who Shot Your Son. That's what we do. And you can find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So next we went to a panel also with disclosure in the title and who hosted it.
1: Jimmy Church
0: jimmy church that's my jimmy church impression <laughs> i like <laughs> it. so this one had
1: this is a big panel it's final yeah. final panel of the day so we have two paid workshops two lectures going on but we're here at the disclosure government cover-up oh. and crash retrieval, panel.
0: crash retrieval panel
1: nick pope
0: senator mike gravel
1: jim mars
0: Linda Moulton, how does she do it?
1: Richard Dolan,
0: Scott, and Suzanne Ramsey,
1: and Patty Greer. Patty
0: Greer, we had wanted to see.
1: She had taught that seven thirty a.m. lecture that we're like, nope, no how, we're not coming here at seven thirty a.m.
0: She's the crop circles lady, and she was recommended to us back during our Aetherius Society investigation.
1: Yeah, we are so glad she was in this panel, and oh, boy, in howdy, every way. Who.
0: Ooh, boy, boy. boy
1: Uh, Linda Milton Howe is going to have a little bit of competition here
0: (laughs) for craziest person in the room
1: oh my goodness so we're, we're back in the amphitheater outside, hundreds of people listening.
0: And we start out with Senator Gravel kind of singing the praises of Julian Assange, Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, talking about whistleblowers and how important they are to disclosure. Right. He checks out.
1: And he's still skirting away from the issue of UFOs or aliens. He's just talking about representation and taking the government back and giving it to the people.
0: So Richard Dolan kind of jumps on that point and says, yeah, you know, the sighting's on on YouTube probably aren't going to bring about disclosure, right? Which I'm with him on.
1: They would have already, right?
0: But something like WikiLeaks might. And so supporting these whistleblowers and protecting oh, them yeah. is really wise. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So then we get to hear from Patty Greer.
1: Patty Greer. Jimmy Church set it up for her. Uh, I think it was one of those things where the panel leader realized, oh, she hasn't talked at all yet.
0: And her uh, expertise has nothing to do with what we're saying.
1: The rest of the panel had been talking about whistleblowers. And he turns to her and said, so Patty, crop circles are the government's hiding knowledge of this?
0: And, oh boy, she goes off on a sentence that might still be going on somewhere
1: (laughs) this is amazing she out linda moulton Howe. linda moulton how
0: yeah so okay I barely was able to write this down, but basically says crop circles are caused by Monsatan, which is her nickname for Monsanto, creating spinning vortexes that create super seeds. Now, the government doesn't want us to know about all this because then we'll know we don't need gas, oil, or GMOs because of alien technology.
1: Yeah, you captured the the essence of it. I got some detailed notes on this. She said that crop circles are coming up out of the earth in counter-rotating vortices of spinning plasma and oh my goodness, there was... So much information, so fast. But yeah, she said they're not letting all this get out because we don't need gas anymore if we learn about all of this energy that's Mm. available. And she said that all of this was proven, crop circles were proven by William Lefty Levengood Mm. and Penny Kelly in the 80s and 90s, up until they died in 2013. And then she started talking about all of these benefits to the crops themselves. Wheat, corn, barley, oats, the seeds become super seeds when they're affected by a crop circle.
0: Ah, of course. As
1: you alluded to, they grew 30 to 400% more food and biofuel, got up to 75% more nutrition per plant and you couldn't kill them with cold, with heat, with dry. So with far
0: this sounds pretty decent.
1: Dryness with wetness. Oh yeah, yeah. This Good is Good job Monsatan. This is all the alien technology that does that. That's Oh, not- okay. Monsatan is the one trying to keep this from us because they Want to grow crops there inefficient way. <sighs>
0: Okay, okay. Of course, of course. Get all the money
1: from us, right?
0: Imagine this making more sense to you than that some pranksters pushed some grass down.
1: But she was saying, no, no, there's no way it could be just bent stalks. Now, she was talking about the films that she's made. She just made one called Crop Circle Diaries, a documentary. There's a really cool trailer for it online. So check that That out. That sounds fun. With her narrating.
0: We should also mention, we haven't done a Crop Circle episode. Maybe we will, I don't know. But in case you don't know it, a crop circle is and you're just so confused it's those perfect circles that supposedly appear in crops and people claim that they're put there by aliens
1: if you haven't heard of crop circles before then you haven't been on earth which means that you're from another planet which means that you already know about crop circles because you can make them well she said this is probably going to be her last film she doesn't need to do anymore and it looks like she's done
0: okay quite sure we'll quite see. a few
1: she said she produced something like eight movies Wow, She's been busy, Okay, huh? especially on this crop circle beat. Very cool. She herself has been in more than 100 crop circles, and we have free energy. We have plasma physics to heal the human body without any of their damn drugs. That got a lot of applause. Whoa. We have everything we need, and it came to us through other dimensional beings. We are at the shift. When we stop waiting for the government and do it ourselves and take back the power, these are the projects that need funding. Clap, 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 clap. Woo! Oh, but- It was just amazing how quickly she could do this. And before one sentence had begun, she was already starting on the next one. It it blew me away.
0: Talk about blinding with details
1: Mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm.
0: can't possibly absorb all that so then mike Gravel kind of chimes in he's like yeah you know they're all all these people are frauds they're all bought off and rich obama has an expensive book deal oh right tell zuckerberg to meet with me
1: yeah if any of you have any of those tubes that make up the internet definitely write a letter put it in a canister stick it in the tube (laughs) and push it off to old mark zuckerberg
0: he'll get it and he'll respond for sure um, so Nick Pope said something fairly wise here that got a lot of people pissed off oh yes sometimes dumping on WikiLeaks can be dangerous and it can get people killed because there is top,
1: sensitive yeah, information top security that, information. that can affect people's well-being yeah he was calling for there to be some expertise at least yes
0: so he said if you're not an expert maybe be careful about it call in an expert to look at what you've got
1: and yeah that was very rational Seems
0: pretty normal thing to say to me I mean and he's still erring on the side of disclosure he's just saying be careful about how and when you do it
1: and Linda Moulton Howe kind of jumped on him
0: oh yeah and Jimmy was pissed
1: Mm -hmm. he like
0: pounced on him
1: oh yeah Nick Pope made a little throwaway line saying something like I know I'm you know sounding a little bit like a you know government shill and Jimmy Church jumped on him like well you are yeah. You do sound like one. Yeah, you do. It and was
0: like they had all turned on him. It in got a, major a little tense. Way. Yeah,
1: because he was trying to say, like, oh, we shouldn't release everything.
0: Or not even, yeah, maybe we should, but that an expert should look at it each time before you make that call.
1: And yeah. so they went kind of back and forth, and Linda would have her very long point, and then Nick would say a few things. And so we were at the close of the panel, we'd run out of time. And Jimmy had to cut off Linda at some point. And that's where he apologized. Like, oh, I can't believe I just cut off Linda I Moulton. How? I can't believe it. And so he said, okay, well, out of respect, we've got to finish. Everyone needs their union break. He, he kept making little <laughs> jokes about the union workers and how, oh, they need their breaks and how lame that is. And so he said that he would give Linda the last word. but we,
0: Which is not a good policy we only ha-
1: We only have one minute left. And uh, Linda, I'm going to let you just say the last thing you need to. But we got to close She went off for (sighs) 10 minutes I measured this (laughs) <laughs> I counted it. It was it was excruciating because she started on point and she went way off it and ended
0: the, up talking about underground lava tubes on Mars. <laughs> that's
1: what I was gonna say. Yeah, that's what stuck with me. <laughs> and reptilians and blobs fighting in those tubes, the lava tubes on Mars. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Stop talking. And then the Jimmy, panel is over.
0: Yeah. And also, just a second ago, you were so mad at Nick Pope. If you really wanted to. This could be your moment. Just but ramming it home. Now but you've no. got to... to your other talking
1: points. She can't stop. And it's just so disrespectful. We've already made it clear that everyone needs to finish this on time. We have a hard out and you're just rambling on.
0: Mm -hmm. (sighs) Well, Nick Pope... He's pretty good on Twitter, is he? Yeah, I like his Twitter. Let me pull it up. Good job, Nick Pope.
1: Yeah, he seemed like one of those people who was more rational. Yeah, definitely.
0: A lot of his tweets will be things like, "People have asked me if I have any evidence about Roswell. If the evidence exists, it was never shown to me." you know it's just like very neutrally worded but mm-hmm. always ends up with the same conclusion which is i don't have any reason to believe that. So if you want to follow Nick Pope on Twitter, he's Nick Pope mod, n i c k p o p e m o d. All right. He's pretty good.
1: Is he your favorite pope, would you say?
0: <laughs> mm, no, i really like the current pope. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <Fair>
1: <laughs> so enough. no.
0: I know i'm going to get hate email about that. Oh yeah. I like the current pope. That's right. <laughs>
1: You don't care if he's the Antichrist.
0: (laughs) That's correct. Zoukalos is okay on Twitter, too. Yeah, so that was the end of that panel, and thus, was it the end of our time?
1: Not completely, but uh, we thought we were going to get to go to the Stephen Greer-
0: Intensive Sunday Night Event Under the Stars- Oh, that's right. It was from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I was like, oh, God.
1: Please, and I was like, well, no. Come on, Carrie. Let's just go for a little bit. I mean, we'll turn back, you know, but we're like half an hour at least. Mm-hmm. I want to see what Stephen Gray has to say about the stars. Fine. Because we we're going to go out and look at, right. at UFOs, uh, supposedly. But you
0: can tell by the way we're talking about it in What A could that it didn't happen.
1: Right. And so we had to go back far side of the amphitheater, and they had tables there where they're gathering people together. And you and I had met one of our listeners.
0: Yes, a random person from Glendale. Yes. This is how she prefers to be referred to. Yes, yeah,
1: but we had talked to her earlier and she had kind of an in with this group in general. Anyway, so we were going to meet her there and go join this Stephen Greer intensive. Turns out that even our VIP passes wouldn't get us into this one because it was, I think, $90, was it?
0: Oh, wow, was that right? It was expensive. I don't remember, but yeah, it was expensive. Yeah, it
1: was a healthy chunk of change to join in on this. So we said- Okay, well, I guess that's our cue to go home.
0: Yeah, or at
1: least back to the Airbnb.
0: Yeah, which, as you'll recall, is a camper.
1: We uh, we wandered back in the dark and kind of said bye to the facility, the stone labyrinth on one side.
0: I I walked through the labyrinth,
1: then we went and I found
0: a chick tract in the middle of it.
1: (laughs) That's. Crazy,
0: yeah. Someone had left it as how you know, would that make, make its monument. way
1: out into this Institute of Mental Physics? I don't know. Love to know that story. And then on the other side of the road, there was the medicine wheel. Mm-hmm. So we visited that in the dark as well and I said goodbye to uh, that location. Into contact in the desert.
0: Contact in the desert. We miss you so much.
1: It's a great song.
0: Thank you. Contact oh, no. in the desert. Still going. We had a good time. Yeah, that was really fun.
1: So we've promised everyone that at the end of Contact in the Desert, we would review all of our UFO experience, Yeah, including UFOs. the Ozark in Mountain general. UFO Conference. Yep. Are you ready, Carrie?
0: <laughs> I think I'm ready. Well, now, wait, I just want to say, when we're talking about science, we're not talking about the claim that aliens exist. Sure. We're talking about the claim that aliens came here or communicated with us.
1: And produce counter-rotating vortices of spinning plasma.
0: Correct.
1: So, Carrie. Ross is it? I'm Ross. How would you rate our UFO conference experience on a pseudoscience scale, where one is something not very pseudoscience in fact, quite scientific, using the real methods of science?
0: Uh-huh. For
1: example, you look within the Earth itself, you dig up what mm-hmm. came from before.
0: Archaeology?
1: Archaeology, yeah, and paleontology, perhaps. Uh-huh. Sure. And, and so you gather all the information you can that way, but then you also look at, say, our genes and all of the information you can glean from that, and then you also compare. Compare anatomy of creatures around the world, and you gather all of this information from all these different Physical sources anthropology. together, right? Geology, etc., and then you combine that together, and you get this synthesis of information that tells you that we all evolved. That's
0: whoa, that's
1: a one. Whereas a ten is something. Maybe less scientific. Like
0: okay, like what?
1: Okay, so let's say all life on Earth was seeded by tiny bits of life that oh, had yeah. escaped from elsewhere. Okay, in the galaxy. Okay, and had traveled across the vast expanse of space and happened to be from goats.
0: Whoa, wait! And so I was with you for a second. Then
1: those goat particles hit the ground. <laughs> they then. Mm-hmm. Multiplied mm-hmm. and they eventually became you and me. A little theory I would like to call goat spermia.
0: Yeah, I, I felt this coming near the end. Uh, that's what she said. Um, what are you that's think? a 10. Okay, that's a 10. Got it. Nine.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah. I yep. mean, I
0: feel like among our investigations, this is high up there in borrowing from science and then misusing it.
1: Right. And wanting the credibility of science and multiple, many times we heard these presenters felt that they were representing true scientific methods and consensus and then would discount the findings of other scientists saying that they had been bought or were shills or right. confused or whatever the, the motivation was. So yeah, I feel like there was a real claim here that what we're talking about is science yeah, when it's not. And that's, that's what we call pseudoscience.
0: Yeah, definitely. So would you give it a nine, a I'm, ten, an eight?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say 9.5.
0: Okay, yeah. I only saved the one for those few speakers who were pretty neutral about it.
1: Yeah, there were individuals we could point at.
0: And I say good to the UFO conference organizers for inviting those people.
1: Definitely. There are certain researchers we've talked about. The guy who gave the Battle of Los Angeles presentation. Mm -hmm. He would get a better score in my mind. Of course, Michael Denon.
0: Oh, Uh, for sure.
1: He would get a wonderful score. Yeah, definitely. Nick Pope, not as bad. Exactly. So there's a range. But the fact that you have... Stephen Greer, David Wilcock, Linda Moulton Howe speaking at these conferences,
0: and let's not forget
1: Al Guy.
0: Oh, Al Guy, definitely. I was going to say let's not forget all the hypnotherapy involved. It's mm-hmm. a totally discredited yes. way to remember anything,
1: which is such a linchpin to all these arguments. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so really high on the pseudoscience.
0: What about on a pocket drainer value or one something not at all pocket draining? Like your boyfriend buys you a VHS copy of All Dogs Go to Heaven, and you're really excited about it and you didn't even have to pay for it.
1: That was sweet of him to buy me a Don't you fucking dare VHS tape. Except
0: <laughs> no, Why did it have
1: to be a no, Donald Bluth film?
0: <laughs> I'm blowing my top. I love Don Bluth. Ross doesn't. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a one. And 10 is something incredibly pocket draining, like running the FBI.
1: Wow, okay. I don't feel at any point that there was a real huge money grab. I mean, you know, you're paying to go to a conference and conferences cost money to organize and you gotta bring in speakers and all that. So mm-hmm. I can't fault any of the conferences on the costs themselves. And the vendors as well had a lot of interesting wares and I, I can't One point- One
0: guy gave me free stuff.
1: Yeah, I can't point to anything that was out so I, I'm not feeling a big pocket drain. You know, if this is something you're interested and excited about, then I think you can get into it without a huge outlay of cash. So I'm going to say a two.
0: Okay. I mean, the two conferences we went to did have price tags that could be prohibitive for people, but not more than a conference, period. Yeah,
1: going to a conference is just an expensive thing.
0: Yeah. And I think that you could read about all this stuff. You could follow these people on Twitter and get most of the information.
1: Mm, There's so much out online. You know, you could watch hours of David Wilkins. The dark journalist.
0: Yeah, I will say tons that of material. Probably, if you took each of these people by themselves and studied them, you might get a different impression. Like, I'm guessing if you go to a David Wilcock talk, there's probably more of a hard sell on his books, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. But as a conference, I agree. I would maybe give it a little higher. The three. Okay.
1: What about on a danger rating? Where one is something not very dangerous. You get a long balloon and you fold it and spin it around and fold it some more and tie these ends together, and before you know it, you have a giraffe.
0: Whoa! Not only safe, it is fun.
1: A ten is something far more dangerous. You gather many balloons.
0: Okay. With you so far.
1: You fill them with helium. Okay. Pretty and safe. You just keep tying them to your arm, tying them to your arm, oh, gonna, tying them to your arm, tying them to your arm. This up again. And next thing you know, you're floating towards South America attached to a bunch of balloons, but you didn't bring a BB gun to shoot the balloons. Oh, man. To let and you an down. annoying
0: young man is with you.
1: Yeah, Russell, local wilderness explorer. Okay, that's a 10. That's a 10.
0: Yeah, are there really any dangers associated with this? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I could stretch it and say, well, some of them appear to be anti-vaccine or Mm -hmm. there are some dangers to the biosphere when you're talking about all these people who don't believe in global warming. But yeah.
1: I just remembered the whole chemtrails discussion. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I did too.
1: And I'm glad we gave them a high pseudoscience ranking. (laughs) Yeah,
0: indeed. Um, The
1: cell phone scam thing. Oh, that was so irritating.
0: But on its face, just looking at the central claims and the traditional definition Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. safety I would say it's pretty safe. I think danger rating one. I can't even think of anything really.
1: Yeah, I'd say in terms of bodily harm, you're going to be fine. There's no implants you'll get that a podiatrist can't take care of.
0: <laughs> oh, right. But now all you need is a stud finder. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I think, though, psychologically, there are dangers to having this imaginary layer of explanation in the world that you blame things for. Yeah. Ranting against the government and making all these demands that are nonsensical. Yes. Even if anyone tried to meet Linda Moulton Howe's demands for disclosure, there's just nothing we could do because none of this is real. Right. As far as I can tell. I I have not been convinced by these arguments. I do not think that there are lava tubes on Mars with battling blondes and reptoids in them. I feel like it's just this massive diversion i feel there's a danger to that
0: yeah i think in that sense you're right i wasn't thinking in those terms of safety but yeah i mean especially living in the era that we do where it's becoming Mm -hmm. more and more alarming how bad our society is at distinguishing between real and false facts yeah there's definitely a danger to that so i invite you to give it a higher score with that in mind
1: i will then give it a 5.8 That seems reasonable.
0: Okay. What would you give this on a creepiness scale where one is something not at all creepy? You go out into the woods and you chop down a tree and you bring it home to your family and you make uh, a log cabin out of it.
1: One (laughs) tree? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Maybe that is creepy (laughs) because how did it happen? Okay, you had 70 trees. Okay. Is that too many now? (laughs) I don't know how to make a cabin. (laughs) Hey,
1: I'll make a really fancy log cabin. All right.
0: And then 10 is something extremely creepy. Like you go out in the woods, you're going to cut down a tree, but you see a weird red orb in the distance Hmm. and you jump out of your truck that's holding five or six people, one of whom is falling asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. You jump out and you're like, what is that? And you run toward the red light. And then as you're standing there, there's a weird beam that comes out of the light and it grabs you by your innards and it pulls you into the light. And then the next thing you know, you're on a table and some aliens are cutting into your goddamn body trying to get shit out of you. And then, and it hurts a whole bunch. Then after that's over, you're being back down into the woods. Your friends find you days later. But, but but you only remember being gone a short amount of time. And then for the rest of your life, people are chasing you down. And they're saying, Travis, 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 tell us what happened to you. And you become known as the alien guy.
1: That's a really good story. Yeah, there's, there's creepiness here, for sure. All kinds of creepiness. Yeah. Yeah, the stories from Debbie Cobble. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. Whitley Streber.
1: Travis Walton. Corey Good. Oh, yeah. There's, I think, a lot of people here with various issues and psychoses, you know, things that they're trying to work through. And just the- Maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I think-
1: And or real experiences layered on top of this-
0: Right. Well, whatever their source. Even if there's no mental diagnosis, mm-hmm. people whose memories have been manipulated in this yes. really specific way.
1: Right. And that in itself is hugely creepy. Yeah. So, yeah, all of this imagery and these ideas, whatever their source, are, I think, pretty frightening. And so I'm going to give it a seven.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to give it a 10.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think this is like one of the creepiest Tops out the creepy scale. This and OTO, I think, are like the highest on my list of creepy. Awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. No, it's legit creepy.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, not so creepy that I wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. I would go back, but I like to be creeped out. Oh, yeah.
1: And I have an affinity toward the alien culture Mm -hmm. and the imagery of it. I find it all very interesting and attractive, but-
0: It's also got- Like a quaint quality. I think it's because so many people were talking about aliens during like the 50s and 60s. Mm. So it still calls back that sort of like.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, it feels like there's kind of different modes to it. There's an occultic side Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and then there's also that, you know, 1950s ideal, quote unquote. There's so much contained within the UFO community and lore. And I like it. I think it's fun. So yeah, I, I hope we do more in the future. Yeah, yeah. But Carrie, what about hot drinks? Well- Were you taking care of at these conferences?
0: At the first one, yes. They okay. did have hot drinks at the Ozarks Conference. Whew. But at Contact in the Desert where it was very, very, very hot.
1: That wouldn't have done you much good.
0: Yeah. They had cold brew coffee, which was good, but expensive. So I feel though like that would have been a weird place to have hot drinks. All right. So you give them a pass. I give them a pass. Overall
1: thumbs up? Thumbs up. Yeah. All All right, I'll join in on that. Can you point to a favorite moment?
0: I think my favorite moment was Owl Guy acting like I had gone too far with my claims. (laughs) It's just really getting a little too into this whole owl thing.
1: This lady clearly (laughs) finds coincidences in too many things. Really unlikely places. She needs to tone it down. (laughs) Owl Guy was amazing.
0: Oh, I miss him.
1: I keep thinking of Al Guy and just how much fun he was. And Linda Moulton Howe provides- You
0: never know what's going to come out, out of her, her
1: face. face. <laughs> there we go. That was a fantastic moment. This was a really cool summer for me because I have been into alien culture for a long time and finally got to see and meet some of these people I'd been watching and listening to and reading for a long time. Yeah. And that was all really cool. So yeah, great time overall and it was fun doing it with you.
0: Ah oh, thanks Ross. likewise That's it for our show. Can you believe it?
1: Here we are at (laughs) the end.
0: Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton.
1: Our producer and co-editor is Ian Kramer.
0: You can support this and all our investigations by going to maximumfund.org forward slash donate.
1: Thank you so much to all of our donors. You are the best. And you can support us by giving us a positive review on iTunes.
0: Or if you want to give a negative review, uh, then our show is spelled Ono like a Yoko Ono.
1: Also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com dot com forward slash onrack o-n-r-a-c
0: ross someone told me on twitter that they just realized onrac was an acronym
1: oh really <laughs> yeah they just had been listening
0: for years
1: pick this thing like maybe it's just like acorn rearranged
0: oh yeah i had never thought of
2: that hmm. <laughs> and remember i want to talk about why why are they not letting this get out why because we don't need gas anymore Why? Because crop circles were actually proven by William Levengood and Penny Kelly in the 80s, 90s, up until he died in 2013, that they're coming out of the earth in counter-rotating vortices of spinning plasma. And the effect on the seeds in wheat, corn, barley, oats made those seeds super seeds. And the seeds inside crop circles grew repeatedly. 30 to 400% more food and biofuel with up to 75% more nutrition per plant. And repeated tests in the lab proved that they couldn't kill them. Too wet, too cold, too hot, too dry. They became super seeds when they were hit with the spinning plasma vortices in the crop circles. So Lefty and Penny took all these samples to the lab and now and then somebody like Linda Moulton Howe brought them another pile of samples of these totally bent nodes and they weren't broken where they were bent they were actually biophysically changed by some massive heat created by these spinning vortices of plasma so what they proved was that this is really important to bring back the food supply who's our government who owns it i believe Monsanto has a lot to do with why we have not allowed crop circles to get out to the public. Do you know that they even they even closed our research center in England last year? I called the only store that sold like 100 movies a year, and they said, we don't do crop circles anymore. They are sitting in the Avery Stone Circle, the store, the crop circle store at the beginning of this year said, nah, nah, people aren't talking about it anymore we had people in the field saying those spinning balls of light oliver's castle footage were fake go back to sleep and people believed it up until today nobody has seen that that is absolutely real footage until i world premiered crop circle diaries which is probably my final film of eight i don't need to do anymore william leavengood penny kelly had the science that was indisputable And I've been in more than 100 crop circles, Barbara Lamb's been in more than 2,000. So when you've got the real cropies working the program with no misinformation and all the physical evidence, so why? Why don't they want it to get out? Look who owns our government. Why don't they want spaceships and all these technologies to get out? Because we don't need gas and oil, we have free energy. We have plasma physics to heal the human body without any of their damn drugs. We have everything we need, and it came to us through other dimensional entities. The most advanced technologies have come to us by those that they don't want announced. And I think that's the reason, is because we're there, we are at the shift. And when we stop waiting for the government and just taking our power back, like I believe all of us have said, We're going to move it. And what needs to happen is these are the projects that need funding. The free energy projects need funding. Lefty and Penny's project needs funding. And once the funding is prolific, then you just gift these CDP machines out to all the farmers. And bang, our organic food supply comes back. And when we move into this great shift that wasn't 2012, it was 2017, I hope. Once we raise the frequency of consciousness and all of a sudden we've got great food again because this got out, and we've got free energy everywhere because that got out, there's no discussion. We don't have to fight with that old paradigm. So it's really about all of us moving into a new energy space where none of that matters. And when people are resonating at a higher frequency consistently, all of that fades away. Thank you, Patty. Patty Groot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. You're on board. What do you say we uh, we do all of this and put it into a podcast? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you think? All right. Uh, should we call it like I don't know? Can I pet your dog? Sure. All right. Uh, what do you what do you say we put it on every Tuesday on Maximum Fun or on iTunes? Sounds What's good the- to me. <laughs> Meeting's over.
2: MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Listener-supported.